Odo Rumi has told so many stories, actually hundreds of stories, but it is all the story of his own life. And in one poem in Masnavi, he actually says that these are stories of the prophets, of uh, legends, of myths, of parables, of different people, of historical, non-historical, legendary. All these stories are just one story of Hesam Eddin, who was his student and the source of inspiration for him. And finally, it was the story of himself, because he himself was reflected in the Sambetin. So it is actually the story of Rumi, but at a time when he is not himself, when he is nay. So listen to nay, to read. This word nay actually means read, the pipe. But at the same time, it means uh, doesn't exist. So Rumi has been criticized that why uh, he has not followed the tradition of Persian literature to start in the name of God. For example, other poets like Ferdowsi in the name of God who created reason, in the name of God, the Nama Ankejandra Fekatamu, Ben Einamitubekarin Sarahaz, Bainizami. Your name is the best comments. Why did he not start with Bismillah, which is a tradition? And according to a tradition by Muhammad, any adventure, any uh, pursuit which, is, which does not start by Bismillah would not come to an end. So how is it that Rumi did not start? The answer is that he actually started not only by Bismillah, but Bismillah runs through all his poetry. All his poetry is in the name of God, because it is his name. He says that I don't exist. Now that I don't exist, chunky man man me stand, since I am not I. So this is the breath of God. And he has actually claimed to be a prophet. That uh, anyone who rejects this breath, this poetry, is infidel. And then he compares himself to Muhammad, the Prophet of Islam, that although the Quran is heard from the lips of Muhammad, but uh, anyone who says that he is, it is not the words of God, is a disbeliever, is an infidel. So this name is actually at the heart of Masnavi, and he has said almost all what he wants to say in the beginning, in the preamble, in those about uh, 20 or 25 couplets in Masnavi. Masnavi, the word of Masnavi means uh, couplet. Actually, it means two Masnavi in Arabic. It means um, two hemistitches put together, each having its own rhyme, one rhyme for both. Uh, parts and the rhythm is very interesting it's both good for dancing and singing which is uh, I just uh, show you the sound of it it's like this you just uh, have one stroke two stroke one stroke one two one one two one very rhythmic and at the same time it is not far from prose. 
it would be more uh, rhythmic. So it is about uh, 25,000 couplets, almost as big as Divine Comedy or a, t- a little bit bigger than Divine Comedy of uh, Dante. And uh, it is as big as uh, Odyssey and Iliad put together. Um, but uh, despite uh, so many lines, Rumi says it is only one line. It is only one word, and that is the story of love. This Masnavi is the shop of unity. Every, every shop has its own commodity to sell. And the commodity of Masnavi is unity. He is calling all to unity. And unity means love. Rumi has three books, or actually four books. Uh, the lyrics which are compared to dancing. When Rumi is dancing, he composes his poetry, his lyrics. And it is most intoxicated. No one has ever been more intoxicated than Rumi. No wine has such vigorous effect on human beings. So actually he doesn't, he denies these wines of grape. He says, what is that? It doesn't give any intoxication. It doesn't uh, make us happy. It doesn't uh, root up. It, it doesn't uproot the sorrows. So he says, this is nothing. Don't call it wine. This is real wine. And actually when Rumi says wine, it is not a metaphor. He believes that the real wine, the, in the literal sense of the word, is what he is offering. And this wine which people are taking, that is... Uh, metaphorical <laughs> and it is it is no wine it's just for some very small similarity it is a shadow of the shadow of the shadow of that wine so uh, his uh, this wine is mostly offered in his lyrics uh, which are in the name of Shamsi Tabrizi Shamsi Tabrizi uh, is his master and everybody knows that the most uh, deciding point in his life was in Rumi's wi- life was his meeting with Shamsi Tabrizi he was a m- mysterious or mystifying you could say dervish they called him uh, a flying dervish because he flew away from here to there every time and then he happened to rise like a sun Pishu Barjos like a sun from the east it rose on the way of Rumi and then Rumi met with this sun and uh, there, uh, there has been much discussions and many articles written about this meeting how Rumi met with Shamsi Tabrizi what was the situation? What did Shams tell Rumi? And how this transformation from a religious scholar, a very conservative, uh, turned into a dancing and twirling man all his life. Uh, much has been said, but Rumi has summed up 
his story with life, his story with Shams in most simple and most beautiful sentence which reminds me of a quotation from Hazlitt, I think it's William Hazlitt, that the art of art, the glory of expression, and the sunshine of the science of letter is simplicity. And Rumi emphasizes on simplicity. Actually, he has been criticized for simplicity. There were people who said that, what is this Masnavi? It is so simple, everybody can understand it. And Rumi, again, comparing himself to Quran, he says, well, when Quran was revealed to Muhammad, the same criti critical views was expressed, were expressed that, uh, well, this Quran, everybody can understand it, it is just something, don't do this, do that. And it is not something very mystifying, very profound, things to ponder about, as Maghamot Tabatul Tafana, from the very stage of conversion into the annihilation, which is union with God. It doesn't have a system, it has no organization, the book. It is very similar actually to the Quran itself because uh, Masnavi uh, doesn't begin on any particular subject and doesn't end in any particular subject, just like the Quran. It, has no, it is neither here nor there. It's, uh, so he says that when uh, uh, the Quran was revealed, the same critical views were expressed. And then Rumi answers in the words of Quran actually, that گفت گر آسان نماید این به تو این چنین آسان یکی سوره بگو and then God answered if it is very simple okay then one composed just one chapter one small chapter like this simple so Rumi uh, emphasizes on simplicity and here he has given the story of his own meeting with uh, Shams and what Shams has done for him in one sentence that the kindled lamp kissed the unkindled lamp and went his way that's all Rumi was unkindled but he was prepared he could be kindled and then a kindled lamp like Shamsat Abrizi he just kissed it and then his message his, uh, his mission actually was finished and then he went away for two years, he was only for two years and seven months with Rumi, and then he left forever. Now, this is, Mas uh, this is uh, his lyrics. And then his Masnavi, his lyrics are in the name of Shams Tabrizi, and uh, I don't think that, uh, actually I'm sure that there, are, there is no poet in the world who has composed all his uh, lyrics in the name of someone else. And he has, is constantly using the name of Shams at the end, in the concluding uh, line of every sonnet, or, uh, of every uh, piece. So I call it dancing of Rumi, the lyrics. And then Masnavi is a sort of remembrance. <coughs> he is reciting the name of God the name of his beloved because he says that I do not know any other name it's only one name I know and I have to repeat but since you would get bored with it I change it every time into a different form he, he reminds me of a sonnet by Shakespeare he is telling the same to his beloved that 
What can I do? You may ask me, why is it that you are repeating? Because I have nothing else to say. Yes. And there is a quotation by Victor Hugo. He says that I want, if I wanted to tell you what is in my head, it would be volumes of books. But what is in my heart is only two words. Je vous aime. I love you. So Rumi wants to say I love you. That is uh, the heart of uh, Masnavi. Um, actually, in one story, uh, a very funny story, he says that in every story you have to take the grain out of the measure and the meaning out of the form. Uh, he says that a handmaid uh, of a lady once went to or shopping to the grocer and then the grocer happened to be in love with the lady. And then so he started telling the stories of love and how he loved the lady for the handmaid to tell her that uh, every night I'm awake and I count the, the stars and uh, I shed tears and do and so and so. And said he, he said a long story. And then when the handmaid came home, uh, the lady said, what did the grocer say? say? He said, well, he said, uh, he wants to do so and so with you. Yes, and uh, the lady said, did he say it in such cold, unromantic manner? He said, no, he said a very long story, but this is what he really meant. <laughs> yes. So, Rumi has emphasized greatly in a storytelling in Masnavi that you have to get that unity behind all these, this multiplicity. And don't think, Masnavi, Vahdatan dar Vahdat astin Masnavi, as samak rota samak e manavi. Even though it covers from fish, and not the fish uh, which we eat, but the fish which is under the cow on which the earth is put, I mean, according to uh, older traditions. He says, from the fish, to the moon. He covers everything, but it is unity in unity in unity. So that's the key to Masnavi, that you should not think that there are stories, some people um, categorize their stories, that these are the stories uh, of uh, moral stories, social stories, mystical stories, non-mystical stories, secular stories. There's only one story, and that's the story of love, and this is the remembrance and zikr, which in Sufism, you know, they, they repeat certain words. And Rumi has repeated, but in different ways. But he meant the same thing. And his third book is his uh, Discourses. Discourses of Rumi, uh, which is called Fi Hemofi. That's one of the most uh, exotic names for the book, for a book. Which, is, which means there is in it what there is in it. This is the name, uh, the meaning of fihem or fi. There is in it, there lies in it what there lies in it. You see, actually, a story in Masnavi gives a comment on this name that once uh, uh, the policeman who was uh, to 
grab people who are intoxicated on the street and take them to the judge. He happened to meet with an intoxicated man lying on the ground and then he kicked him and said, rise up, what are you doing here? And what have you eaten? He said, well, I have eaten from that bottle over there. And then said, well, what is there in the bottle? He said, well, what I have eaten already. And then he repeated, well, I asked you what you have eaten. You have drunk. He said, well, what is there hidden in the bottle there? And then it was a vicious circle. So he wants to say, you have to, if you ask me what there is in this book, it means you have to read it. There is in it what there is in it. It has got no name. So, Fihemafi is in prose. The other two are in uh, poetry, I mean in, in verse. Fihemafi is in prose. And this is the discourses of Rumi. And a fourth one is his sermons, which are not uh, as interesting as the other ones, but they are equally good. Now, what we are going to do in, sem in this seminar is to get acquainted with the storytelling, the art of the storytelling, and the wisdom of the storytelling in Rumi. Actually, there is a very funny story about, uh, I mean, Rumi himself in Masnavi narrates a story that uh, people misinterpret their stories. When they hear a story, well, they think, what does it mean? They take it literally. Uh, they, they don't try to find out the pearl out of the shell. So there is a funny story that once a person went to a grammarian, a student. You know, in Arabic grammar, one of the most uh, common sentences they use to show grammatical relations, to show that this is the subject and this is the object, they just say, Zaid beat Amr. And the word Amr, uh, let me show you that Amr is written here. It has a V at the end, a W at the end, which is not pronounced, which is silent, mute. It is just uh, to uh, help people to read it and not to mistake it for Omar. If you write it like Omar, Omar Khayyam is like this. But this is called Amr. Uh, and this verb does no service. It is not pronounced at all. So, uh, the grammarian said uh, in his first lesson that um, Zaid beat Amr. The student said, why? Why did he beat Amr? Well, the grammarian said, well, this is a story. This is just um, for the sake of grammar and for the sake of deciding which is subject, which is predicate, and so and so. He said, no, I, I don't, I am not convinced. I have first to know why uh, Zaid beat Amr. What was wrong with Amr and what he had done? So the man was forced to make a joke and said it was because Amr had stolen one additional love and that was why he was beaten. So uh, Rumi emphasizes in many places in his stories that you should not take these stories for granted that they are history even historical stories are not history for Rumi for example he tells the story of Muhammad 
He tells the story of um, a saint. He tells the story of Joseph, uh, of prophets. But he doesn't mean those stories. He doesn't mean uh, those events. But he is uh, just offering a special meaning in every story. Now, one of the particular uh, characteristics of the storytelling of Rumi is that he often stops in the middle of the story and uh, uh, suddenly this, uh, speaks with the reader. Um, for example, he is telling the story of Ayaz and Sultan Mahmud. Sultan Mahmud, uh, the very powerful and famous uh, 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 king of Iran, which is a symbol of God, although he was oppressive and uh, in many cases not praised uh, except by poets. Uh, but anyway, he was, he is a symbol of God in many stories in Masnavi as well as in Attar and other traditional Sufi poets. So he's telling the story of Ayaz. Ayaz is a lover of God. And suddenly Rumi gets so frenzied with the story of Ayaz that he stops the story and says, Oh, Ayaz, he's, he's addressing his character. Oh, Ayaz, uh, I'm s with the pathos of your story, I am frenzied, I am wasted away. And uh, so far I have told your story, and now you can come and tell my story to other people. So Rumi starts a story, two or three lines, and then all of a sudden, very softly, you can hardly understand what it ha when it happens, very softly it goes into a very deep discussion on um, mystical discussions or philosophical discussion um, without stopping the story. You know, for example, Victor Hugo and Tolstoy, they often stop a paragraph and then enter into discussions, philosophical discussions. But Rumi, you cannot decide how it happens that suddenly he is in the midst of another discussion. He is telling the story of a parrot and the parrot is speaking, but suddenly you find that this, this is not parrot. It's, it's the story of your life. Now, I think it's better that uh, we uh, go into the story themselves and read through. I have chosen some stories to discuss, to show how it goes on. The stories of Masnavi are some very, very short, just one line. Some of them are two lines. A complete story in two lines. <coughs> For example, گفت معشوقی به آشق کیفتا تو به قربت دیدهی بس شهرها پس کدام این شهر از آنها خوشتر است گفت آن شهری که در وی دلبر است. It's finished. A, love, a, a beloved once asked his lover, you have been to many places in the world. Which city is best in the whole world? He said, the city is best where my beloved lives. Mm. That's all. So that's the story. Another story is in two lines. An yeki porsid oshtorra kehei az kujam mi aayi farkon de pei. Goft az hamam garme kuyeto goft kot peidas az zanuyeto. It's an irony in it. Uh, it somebody asked a, a camel, 
Where are you coming, O auspicious one? He said, I'm coming from the bath, the public bath. And you know, uh, the uh, camels usually have very dirty feet, uh, particularly on their knee, knees. on their knees, yes. And uh, he said, well, I'm coming from the public bath. And he answered, yes, it's very clear from your knee. <laughs> That's the story. Sometimes only one line. Murgaki and dar shikari kerm bud, gurbe forsat yaft anra darbud. A bird was about to hunt a worm. But suddenly, the cat was hunted by the cat. Yes. So, these are very short stories and then very long stories of hundreds of lines. Uh, and uh, usually, there is an original story in which there are some, which is the frame story, and then there are some um, subordinate stories. Now, I thought, uh, as an introduction to the stories, we read the song of the reed. The song of the reed. Bishnu as nechun hikayat mikonat, as judoiha shikayat mikonat. Now I have been a companion with Rumi for half a century. I was five years old when my father told me the stories of Rumi. And I committed them to memories and I can recite some of them from very early childhood. And since then, it is almost half a century that I have been a constant companion with Rumi and never get tired of him. You can dip into him again and again, inexhaustibly explorable. Every time you find new pearls, listen to the read how it tells a tale, complaining of separations. There are many articles written about the meaning of this read, which sometimes means Rumi himself. Some people say that he means Muhammad because uh, there is a verse in the Quran that Muhammad does not speak out of his own desires. <laughs> so he does not speak out of his own desires, interests, or incentives. This is just what has been revealed to him. So, you know, some people say that since Muhammad was ordered iqra, means recite the first verse which was revealed to Muhammad was Iqra, means recite. So Rumi is following that Iqra, means recite, and say listen. When he, he means that you should listen to Muhammad. Actually, he has been, uh, by his critics, uh, he has been criticized that he is uh, calling people just to Muhammad. Yes, exactly this is what he did. This is just the story of Muhammad and how they have to follow him. So I will, I will not go into this, the uh, long discussions about read and their stories, very, fun, very interesting, enchanting stories from Greece, uh, Greek mythology about uh, read and the story of Pan and uh, the Argus which had uh, hundreds of eyes and no one could put him to sleep. Uh, and then uh, he played, he told the story of Reed, and then all the eyes went to sleep. 
see so uh, listen to the read and at the same time Rumi wants to say listen to people who are like read because they are empty of their own interests so whatever they say is truth listen to the read how it tells a tale complaining of separation may I ask you to read uh, uh, the text yes, I mean yes. Okay, just, uh, thank you. Sure. Be- beginning with listen to the read? Yes. Okay. And to, to how far? Would you like yes, you can just go on uh, line by line and if there is any commentary I will give. All right, yeah. all right. Listen to the read, how it tells a tale, complaining of separations, saying, ever since I was parted from the reed bed, my lament hath caused man and woman to moan. Yes. You know, this... Uh, a reed, a reed bed is the realm of union. Rumi says that there was a time that we were not separated from our God. And there was a time of union. So we are bemoaning here, we are complaining here that why we are separated and we want to go back to our Lord. Yes? I want a bosom torn by severance that I may unfold to such a one the pain of love desire. You know, there have been so many uh, commentaries written on Masnavi. And somebody asked my father, which is the best commentary to read? He said, it doesn't need a commentary, it needs a heart, (laughs) a receiving heart, a loving heart. And Rumi actually says this, that uh, I want a bosom torn by severance that I may unfold to such a one the pain of love desire. Yes, go on, please. Everyone who is left far from his source wishes back the time when he was united with it. In every company I uttered my wailful notes. I consorted with the unhappy and with them that, were the, that rejoice. Everyone became my friend from his own opinion. None sought out my secrets from within me. Yes, people tend to read books in, his, in their own uh, ideas and they have a measure like Procrastus. You know the story of Procrastus that... Uh, in Procrastes. Uh, Procrastes. Procrastes, yes. Um, he lay his guests on a bed if they were longer than that, then he cut the additional from the, their legs. And if they were not just uh, enough, then they would draw him uh, until they, it would be exactly in the same size as the bed. So this is uh, what people do. They have a measure and then they just uh, try to uh, put everything in accord with their own previous uh, preconceptions. My secret is not far from my plaint, but ear and eye lack the light whereby it should be apprehended. Body is not veiled from soul, nor soul from body, yet none is permitted to see the soul. This noise of the reed is fire, it is not wind. Whoso hath not this fire, may he be not. The one who hasn't got this fire of love, it means, 
he he maybe he doesn't exist at all and he maybe knows tis the fire of love that is in the reed tis the fervor of love that is in the wine the reed is the comrade of everyone who has been parted from a friend its strains pierced our hearts whoever saw a poison and antidote like the reed whoever saw a sympathizer and a longing lover like the reed yes you know it is a poison as well as antidote why because music true music and divine music first of all it reminds you of separation this is the poison it reminds you that you are separated because you are negligent of this separation you are actually separated from your separation <laughs> they call it in Irfan alam farq al means the realm where you are even separated from your separation so you need someone to remind you of this separation so this is poison and then he gives the antidote of promise that you will be reunited with the one you have lost with your paradise lost yes the reed tells us of the way full of blood and recounts stories of the passion of majnoon only to the sense majnoon and leila are like romeo and juliet very famous lovers only to the senseless is this sense confided the tongue hath no customer consumer who has no customer save the ear you know senseless actually means intoxicated uh, the person who has uh, left aside his reason he is above reason not below reason you know some people think that when rumi says uh, we are frenzied we are mad it means that we have lost our reason no we have got our reason but we are above it we don't need it any longer in our woe the days of life have become untimely our days travel hand in hand with burning griefs if our days are gone let them go tis no matter do thou remain for none is holy as thou art so this is the antidote that people are afraid of their days and their life which is going one by one like the leaves of a tree in fall it's falling and said what it doesn't matter let them go because thou art and since thou art thou art the whole and nothing is lost so why should we be afraid of losing our days while you are still living because so far as you are living all are correct all is well with the world it is very similar to a poem by uh, emily bronte who says that i'm not afraid of losing anything because uh, you are all and everything can be found again in you yes whoever is not a fish becomes sated with his water with his water whoever is without daily bread finds the day long yes you know here he has divided people into three categories those who have got not a drop of that water which gives life that water of love have nothing they lose their life and those who have just taken a draught 
as a goblet and then they are they have quenched their thirst and those who are like a fish they never uh, their quench is never I mean their thirst is never quenched none that is raw understands the state of the right therefore my words must be brief farewell O oh, son, burst thy chains and be free. How long wilt thou be a bondsman to silver and gold? If thou pour the sea into a pitcher, how much will it hold? One day's store. در بریزی بحر را در کوزهی چند گنجت قسمت یک روزهی It's very similar to what uh, uh, William Blake says that to see the whole world in a grain of sand and the heaven in a wild flower hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour so Rumi says that uh, if you put the whole ocean into a pitcher it's only a daily portion <laughs> one possessed of much wealth said to a deaf man a neighbor of thine is fallen ill the deaf man said to himself Being hard of hearing, what shall I understand of the words spoken by that youth? Especially as he is ill and his voice is weak. Yes. But I must go thither, <coughs> there's no escape. When I saw his lips moving, when I see his lips moving, I will form a conjecture as to that movement from myself. When I say, how are you, O oh my suffering friend? He will reply, I am fine, or I am pretty well. It is very usual in Iran that no one complains about when you ask him, how are you? No one says, oh, I'm dying, or they usually say, Alhamdulillah, it's okay, <laughs> I am right, or pretty well. Yes. I will say, thanks to God. What posset have you had to drink? He will reply, some sharbat. Yes. Or a decoction, decoction of, of kidney beans. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Then I will say, may you enjoy health. Yeah. means be happy and uh, I hope that it is very good for you. Your digestion. Yes. Yes. Good digestion, yes. <laughs> yes. Who is the doctor attending you? He will answer, so and so. He will name somebody, yes. He is one who brings great luck with him, I will remark. Since he has come, things will go well for you. Yeah. I have experienced the lack of his foot. Wherever he goes, the desired object is attained. Yeah. The good man made ready these conjectural answers and went to see the invalid. Yes. You know, there is one line which is omitted from the text of Nicholson, which is very important to be put here, um, to see why, why this happens and why the change of conversation is, is totally, I mean, the course of conversation is totally changed. Because there, this uh, patient, the invalid, was a little bit annoyed by the, by the deaf man. There was something, they were not on good terms at that time. You see? Yes. And Daki Gui Ranjira Khater Zekar, and Daki Ranjide Wood, a poor honor. This has been omitted uh, yes, in translation as well as in the text. Yes, because it was yes. in the original manuscript. Because he follows the text, yes. 
No? How are you? He asked. I am at the point of death, said he. Thanks to God, <laughs> cried the deaf man. At this, the patient became resentful and indignant, saying to himself, What cause for thanksgiving is this? He's been my enemy. The deaf man made conjecture, and as now appears, it has turned out to be wrong. Yeah. After that, he asked him what he had drunk. Poison, said he. May it do you good and give you health, said the deaf man. The invalid's wrath increased. Then he inquired, which of the doctors is it that is coming to attend you? He replied, Israel, the angel of death is coming. Get you gone. His foot, good tidings to you, said the deaf man, is very blessed. Be glad. So this is the story, and then Rumi gives uh, several conclusions. I have cho chosen just one. He wants to say that uh, this is this argument, which is based on conjecture, not on truth, is very similar to the argument that Satan, the devil, made with God when he asked him why you did not obey my order, my commandment, to be prostrate before Adam. Mm. He argued with God. Mm. Mm. And then Rumi wants to say that his argument was rejected because he spoke out of his own conjectures, not out of truth. Mm. So, uh, read on. The first person who produced these paltry analogies in the presence of the lights of God was Iblis. He said, beyond doubt, fire is superior to earth. I am a fire, and Adam is of dingy earth. As you know, according to Quran, the devil, Satan, and the, the genii, jinn, they were created out of fire. So, the verse in the Quran is Khalagal John Men Marijin Menanar means he created Satan who was also, I mean the genii um, out of um, very fine fire but man from clay so Satan is referring to that yeah. He said Beyond doubt, fire is superior to earth. I am a fire, and Adam of dingy earth. Let us then judge by comparing the secondary with its principle. He is of darkness, I of radiant light. God said, nay, but on the contrary, there shall be no relationships. Asceticism and piety shall be the sole avenue to preeminence. Actually, it's better to change asceticism with virtue, ah. virtue and piety. Yes. Uh, is uh, the best avenue the taqwa, yes yeah. for preeminence yeah. he is referring to a verse in the Quran that uh, actually when when uh, it is blown in the horn of uh, Israfil, Seraphil, then there is no relationship between beings. No one is the father of the other, no one is the son, there is no relationship. Everyone is judged according to his own virtues and merits. Mm. 
There was a greengrocer who had a parrot, a sweet-voiced, green-talking parrot. Perched on the bench, it would watch over the shop in the owner's absence and talk finely to all the traders. In addressing human beings, it would speak like them. It was also skilled in the song of parrots. Once it sprang from the bench... Oh, yes. You see, here, again, two lines have been omitted, mm. two very important lines, which completes their story, because you don't know why it sprang. Mm -hmm. why the, the parrot, why, why did it suddenly sprang? Because he says, Khaje Ruzi Sui there was a cat suddenly uh, after a mouse the cat jumped after a mouse and then the parrot was afraid was frightened and then he jumped <laughs> yes. makes a big difference yes. so it well, sprang once it sprang from the bench and flew away it spilled the bottles of rose oil its master came from the direction of his house and seated himself on the bench at his ease, as a merchant does. Then he saw the bench was full of oil and his clothes greasy. He smote the parrot on the head. It was made bald by the blow. For some few days it refrained from speech. The greengrocer, in repentance, heaved deep sighs tearing his beard and saying, Alas, the sun of my prosperity has gone under the clouds. <laughs> Would that my hand had been broken at that moment. How ever did I strike such a blow on the head of the sweet-tongued one? He was giving presents to every dervish that he might get back the speech of his bird. After three I days... I believe that uh, there is a relationship between generosity and giving gifts to people and healing. Mm. Yes. Even now in, um, in Muslim traditions, uh, you see, when something happens, uh, someone is uh, badly ill, then they try to give gifts to others. Yes. After three days and three nights, he was seated on the bench, distraught and sorrowful, like a man in despair, showing the bird every sort of marvel in the hope that Maybe it would begin to speak. Meanwhile, a bareheaded dervish clad in, in a jolari. Meanwhile, a bareheaded dervish clad in, in a jolari. Jolak. Jolak means it's a coarse woolen uh, dress, yeah. frock. Passed by with a head hairless as the outside of bowl and basin. Yeah, it's like that of mine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, there is. Uh, uh, one of English poets who was bald, he says that, oh God, if uh, if you want to uh, sub, if you want to chastise our sins, and uh, for every hair, mm -hmm. give us a different chastisement. Mm -hmm. So uh, bring me bald in the uh, desert of uh, the day of judgment. <laughs> Thereupon the parrot began to talk screeched at the dervish and said, Hey, fellow, how were you mixed up with the bald, old bald pate? Did you then spill oil from the bottle? <laughs> the bystanders laughed at the parrot's in inference because it deemed the wearer of the frock to be like itself. Do not measure the actions of holy men by the analogy of yourself. That's the conclusion, then. Though shared, meaning lion, 
and sheer, meaning milk, are similar in writing. As you know, when we write sheer, which means a lion, and when we write share, which means it, in, in the past it was pronounced share, but nowadays both are homonyms. Mm-hmm. We say sheer for milk and sheer for lion. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there is a sheer which devours us, there is a sheer which we eat. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the past it was, the pronunciation was different, but the writing was the same. So it means don't be deceived by the forms. It is sheer and this is sheer. But this is a lion and this is milk. <laughs> On this account, the whole world has gone astray. Scarcely anyone is cognizant of God's abdol. They set up a claim of equality with the prophets. They suppose the saints to be like themselves. Behold, they say, we are men. They are men. Both we and they are in bondage to sleep and food. You know, it's referring to a verse again in the Quran that uh, when Muhammad claimed uh, that he was a prophet, uh, they said, well, you are a human being like us, and Abasharun, and we are human beings, you are human beings. What is the special characteristics of you? You are going to govern over us. So uh, they said, we look like each other. He has got two eyes, I've got two eyes, ears, you see. But they are totally different, like sheer and sheer. <laughs> In their blindness, they did not perceive that there is an infinite difference between them. A certain man gave a dirham to four persons. Dirham is a small coin of some good uh, buying, purchasing value. One of them, a Persian, said, I will spend this on Angur. The second one was an Arab. He said, no, I want Anab, not Angur, oh rascal. The third <laughs> See here, I should explain that uh, when Rumi is uh, quoting the Persian, he uses all the words in Persian, not, not one Arabic word. Farsi gufta azin chun rahim hanbiya kanra anguri dahim. It's all Persian words, mm-hmm. not a single Arabic word in it. <laughs> and then we speak Arabic and say, An Arab gufta ma'azallah la. Man inabcha hamnangur idagad. So, see, even the, the words he has used in that line is uh, quite uh, in harmony with the language. <laughs> the language, <laughs> yes. yes. The third was a Turk, and he said, This money is mine. I don't want Inab, I want Ijim. Yes. The fourth, the Greek said, stop this talk, I want to stop it. Those people began fighting in contention with one another because they were unaware of the hidden meaning of the names. In their folly, they smote each other with their fists. They were full of ignorance and empty of knowledge. If a master of the esoteric had been there, a revered and many-languaged man, he would have pacified them. And then he would have said, with this one dirham, I will give all of you what ye wish. You know, a man of many language is the Sufi, was a perfect man, who knows the language of different people. He doesn't call people infidel because they are worshipping an idol. 
You see, actually that famous poem by Ibn al-Arabi, he says, my heart is receptacle of all forms. My heart is um, a convent for the Christian monk, a temple for the idols, and a Kaaba for the Muslim pilgrims. So he is a man of many languages. When without deceit ye surrender your hearts to me, this Durham will do all this for you. Your one Durham will become four. The result desired, four enemies will become one through unanimity. What each of you says produces strife and separation. What I say brings you agreement. Therefore, be ye mute. Keep silence that I may be your tongue in yes, this speech is again a verse from the Quran. Uh, answer to, there is a word from Quran in this. Pas shoma khamush bashid answer to ta zaban chant zaban tan man shavam dar guftegu. You should you keep silent that I would be your language to bring you unity rather than strife. Actually Hafiz, uh, the prince of Persian lyric poets, he has, uh, he gives uh, the same idea in a very beautiful line in his sonnets. Jange hafta dudu millat hamera oz bine chun nadidan haqiqat rahe afsane zadan. The strife of 70 and two different sects. Excuse them all because they don't know they didn't know the truth, so they are just uh, telling the stories. <laughs> the mother of Yahya. Yes, I wanted uh, to uh, stop it here and then, uh, because this part is not actually a story. It is a story, but uh, our friends can read it for themselves. We can go on with this second uh, mm -hmm. uh, flyer. Mm -hmm. The story, a very funny story of uh, how imitation, blind imitation, uh, would uh, mislead us. A Sufi, after journeying, arrived at a monastery for Sufis. He took his mount and led it to the stable. With his own hand, he gave it a little water and some fodder. He was not such a Sufi as one we told of before. Because before this, Rumi's told the story of another Sufi with his donkey. <coughs> donkey is one of the main characters in Rumi's stories. There are so many stories about donkeys. Yeah. He took precaution for it against neglect and craziness. But when the divine destiny comes to pass, of what avail is precaution? <laughs> the Sufis were destitute and poor. Poverty almost comprises an infidelity that brings the soul to perdition. This is a tradition by Muhammad that Qad al-Fagr and Yakuna Kufra means poverty is very near to infidelity. Yes. O thou rich man who art full-fed, beware of laughing at the unrighteousness of the suffering poor. Yes. On account of their destitution, that Sufi flock, all of them, adopted the expedient of selling the ass, saying, in case of necessity, a carcass is lawful food. There is many a vicious act that necessity made a virtuous one. As they are um, justifying themselves to rob the uh, donkey of the Sufi and sell it and make some food. <laughs> they instantly sold the little ass. They fetched dainty viands and lit candles Jubilation arose in the monastery. They cried, Tonight 
There are dainties and music and dancing and veracity. How much more of this carrying the wallet and this beggary? How much more of this patience and of this three-day fasting? Yes, because often they fast for three days because they didn't have anything to eat. So they were tired of so much poverty. So it's, they thought that it's good occasion. We also are of God's creatures. We have soul. Good luck is ours tonight. We have the guest to entertain. Yes. Thereby they were sowing the seed of falsehood. For they deemed soul that which was not soul. And the traveler too was tired by the long journey and gladly saw that favor and fondness with which they regarded him. The Sufis, one by one, caressed him. They were playing the game of bestowing pleasant attentions on him. When he saw their affection towards him, he said, if I don't make merry tonight, when shall I do so? They ate the viands and began the Samar. The monastery was filled with smoke and dust up to the roof. Yes. You know, this summer is when uh, they get uh, into, go into an ecstasy and rejoice through reciting poems and some music. Then they start certain dancing, which they call summer. One of the um, basic and most important uh, most, most, most significant features is this um, state when they take from heaven <coughs> and then they give to earth and they're dancing, yes. The smoke of the kitchen, the dust raised by beating the feet in dancing, the tumult of soul caused by longing and ecstasy. Now waving their hands, they would beat the ground with their feet now, in religious prostration, they would sweep the dais with their foreheads. You see, let me explain that this sama and dance, Sufi dance, it is very symbolic. When you are uh, beating your feet to the ground, you are tramping the ground, it means that you are tramping all secular pleasures. And when you are just... Uh, uh, throwing your hands this way and that way, it means that you are getting free from all secular uh, chains and attachments. So you want to make yourself free and then go to, um, for ascending towards God. Only after long waiting does the Sufi gain his desire, the satisfaction of his appetite for fortune. For that reason, the Sufi is a great eater. Yes. <laughs> Except, to be sure, the Sufi who has eaten his fill of the light of God. He is free from the shame of beggary. But of these Sufis, there are only a few among thousands. The rest are living under the protection of the perfect Sufi spiritual empire, that the master. Yes. When the Samar had come, run its course from beginning to end, the minstrel struck up a heavy, deep-sounding strain. He commenced to sing, the ass is gone, and the ass is gone. 
Yes, this was, they were repeating, Khar Beraktu, Khar Beraktu, Khar Beraktu, the donkey is gone, the donkey is gone, or the ass is gone. And then they recite and in, in a rhythmic way, and very jolly and happy. And the Sufi didn't know about it what, it, what it meant, actually. He was repeating the same like them, with more even ecstasy and... Uh, he just thought it was their yes. litany, their bear. Yes. The ass is gone, the ass is gone. He made the whole company sharers in this enthusiasm. From this enthusiasm, they continued beating their feet and dancing till dawn, clapping their hands and singing, the ass is gone, the ass is gone. Oh, my son. The way of imitation, by way of imitation, that Sufi began to sing in tones of impassioned feeling the same phrase, the ass is gone. When the pleasure and excitement and music and dancing were over, day dawned, and they all said farewell. The monastery was deserted. The Sufi remained alone. That traveler set about shaking the dust from his baggage. <laughs> he brought out the baggage from his cell in order that he might tie it on the ass, for he was desirous of finding people to travel with. He was hurrying that he might overtake his fellow travelers. He went into the stable, but did not find the ass. He said, the servant has taken it to water because it drank little water last night. The servant came and the Sufi said to him, where is the ass? Look at your beard, replied the servant, and a quarrel arose. The Sufi said, I have entrusted the ass to you. I have put you in charge of the ass. Discuss the matter with propriety. Don't argue. Deliver back to me what I delivered to you. I demand from you what I gave to you. Return that which I sent you. <coughs> the prophet said that whatever your hand has taken must in the end be restored to its own. And if you from insolence are not content with this, look here. Let us go to the house of the Qazi our, yes. of our religion. Yes. The servant said, I was overpowered. The Sufis rushed on me and I was in fear for my life. Do you throw a liver with the parts next it amongst cats and then seek the trace of it? <laughs> one cake of bread amongst a hundred hungry people, one wasted cat before a hundred dogs? I suppose, said the Sufi, that they took the ass from you by violence and thereby aimed at the life of wretched me. And seeing this, you would not come and say to me, they are taking away your ass, O oh poor man. And you could have come to tell me at least you could inform me that they are doing this to me. And seeing this, says so that I might buy back the ass from the purchaser, whoever he is, or else they might divide my money amongst themselves and return the ass to me. There were a hundred ways of mending the injury when they, the Sufis, were present, but now each one has gone to a different clime. Whom should I seize? Whom should I take to the Ghazi? you in sooth that this judgment has come upon me how couldn't you come to say to me oh stranger such a terrible outrage has occurred by God said he I came several times to inform you of these things but you were always saying the ass is gone oh son yes. with more gusto than all the others who said it <laughs> so I was always going back thinking hmm, he himself is away aware uh, he's satisfied with this divine judgment. He is a man who knows God. The Sufi said, they were all saying it merrily, so I also took delight in saying it. 
Blind imitation of them has brought me to ruin. Two hundred curses be on that imitation. Especially on imitation of such good-for-nothing rascals. The wrath of Abraham be on them that sink. The delight of that company of Sufis was casting a reflection. And this heart of mine was becoming delighted by that reflection. The reflection cast from goodly friends is necessary until you become, without the aid of any reflection, a drawer of water from the sea. Know that the reflection first cast is only imitation, but when it has become successive, continually recurrent, it turns into direct realization of the truth. You know, and Rooney himself several times has emphasized that what he says is not imitation, neither from Muhammad or from any other prophet. He is not imitator of anyone. If it happened that uh, it is in harmony with what they said, it is not because he has just repeated what they have said. He says that Anche Guyan has as Ainul Yarin. Whatever I say is because what I have witnessed personally, I have experienced personally. It is not because of argument or because of imitation. It's just out of a direct uh, vision. Until it has become realization, do not part from the friends by whom you are guided, the masters. Do not break away from the shell. The raindrop has not yet become a pearl. If you wish eye and understanding and hearing to be pure, tear in pieces the curtains of selfish desire. Because the Sufi's imitation, which arose from desire, debarred his understanding from the light and radiance. Desire for the viands and desire for that delight shown by the Sufis and for the Sanwa <coughs> hindered his understanding from gaining knowledge of what had happened. Yes, because Rumi believes that if you are free from interests, from coveting, from anger, from lust, then you are knowledgeable. You know, you can understand. It is because of these desires that uh, truth is veiled from you. And this Sufi, uh, he, he was, uh, he was uh, I mean, the fault was with the Sufi, not with the servant, nor with the uh, other Sufis. Because he was covetous. If desire were to arise in the mirror, that mirror would be like us in respect of hypocrisy. If the balance had desired... explain <coughs> that mirror in Persian literature, particularly among in, in Rumi, a mirror is a symbol of many things, but most of all, it is a symbol of true Sufi, a true heart, a very, very intelligent man who does not contempt himself with any form. You see, these pictures, each of them has a certain form. When you go to a gallery, for example, there are thousands, hundreds of uh, pictures, portraits, and each of them is only one thing. That's all, whether beautiful or not. But it is only the mirror which has got n no form. The mirror is very intelligent. It says that, well, please don't paint me. 
because I, want, I don't want to be one form, I want to be all forms. I want to reflect all uh, beauties, all colors, all patterns. Mm. So he doesn't, he has got no particular pattern. He follows no particular religion. Uh, he is, his religion is love. Love is my religion, Rumi, I mean, uh, actually, both Rumi and Ibn Arabi says, the religion of a lover is different from all other religions because he is in harmony with all religions. Although, of course, he is um, apparently a follower of a religion, particular religion, but in his heart, he reflects all uh, different uh, patterns of being. If the balance had desire for riches, how would the balance give a true description of the case? Every prophet has said in sincerity to his people, I ask not from you the wages for my message. I am only a guide. God is your purchaser. This is again from the Quran that Muhammad says, I'm not asking for any wage for what I'm doing for you. Uh, because uh, it is not to be uh, uh, it is not to be mixed with secular attachments at all. This is a God, uh, it's a divine mission and I have to do it and only God will pay me for that. God has appointed me to act as broker on both sides. What are the wages for my work? The sight of the friend. God. Yes, this is what I get. My wage is the sight of my friend. The fact that I see him that is the best wage. Even though Abu Bakr gave me 40,000 dirhams, my wages are not his 40,000 dirhams. How should glass beads be like the pearls of Aden? Yes. I will tell you a story. Listen to it attentively, that you may know what, that selfish desire is a plug <coughs> in the ear. Whosoever hath such desire becomes a stammerer, morally confused. With desire present, how should the spiritual eye and the heart become bright? The fancy of power and wealth before his eye is just as a hair in the eye. Except, to be sure, in the case of the intoxicated saint who is filled with God. Though you give him treasures, vast riches, he is free. For when anyone enjoys vision of God, this world becomes carrion. His eyes. his eyes, yes. This last cross is a piece of calligraphy, a poem by Rumi, about uh, knowledge. It's in a very beautiful story of uh, uh, a person who said that there is a tree in India, the fruit of which, if you eat, you will have eternal life. And then somebody took it, in a literal sense, a king, and sent a, an envoy to find the tree and get the fruit. And then he goes there, and after many years of staying there, he doesn't find that tree. And then on his uh, returning, when he was in total despair, he came to a Sufi, a great Sufi, and said, well, this is my situation. And um, then he laughed and said, well, yes, there is such a tree, but this is knowledge. 
This is the tree of knowledge, of, of course, divine knowledge, he means. Gnosis. And, yes, Gnosism, yes. Khatam mulk Suleiman as ilm, jumla alam suratu jan as ilm. It is uh, the pattern, the name of God, and the gem of the ring of Solomon. This is knowledge. Because according to stories, when Solomon showed this ring to different beings, to animals, to devils, they would all, all obey, him, obey him. So he wants to say through knowledge, everyone, the nature, the genii, the, the angels, everyone who looks at this knowledge would obey you. So Khatam al-Mulk al-Sulaymon as-Ilm, Jumla Alam Suratu Jan as-Ilm. So I think uh, it is uh, sufficient for today, except that next time I will um, give in more detail um, a discussion about the art of storytelling in Rumi. I'll give you more examples of these stories and um, I will show you the artistic and aesthetic uh, methods of expressing these stories. Thank you. Thank you.